Welcome once again to At Home in Your Hymnal. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, we are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We are working our way through divine service setting one. We have worked our way through the first half of the service, if you want to think about it as a uh, theological two-part service. And our goal with At Home in Your Hymnal is to help you be more comfortable at home with your hymnal as you gather with your brothers and sisters in Christ during the corporate worship service, as you gather together with your family for family devotions or use the hymnal yourself for individual devotions. We are moving now to the service of the sacrament. And if you've got your LSB hymnal, we uh, talked about the offertory in great length in our last episode, and now we are at the service of the sacrament, page 160 and following. Pastor, a little bit about the rhythm and flow between the service of the word and the service of the sacrament. What do you think about the two-part nature, the way things are laid out for us in our hymnal? (laughs) Well, I think it's uh, very wise in the sense that uh, what our divine service really does is it emphasizes the places where God promises to be with the Holy Spirit creating and sustaining faith. And so we have the service of the Word, knowing the Holy Spirit's always, always attached to the Word, pointing us to Christ and the forgiveness of sins earned by His life, death, and resurrection. We have the service of the sacrament, which is a focus on the sacrament of the altar, where Christ gives us His body and blood to eat. We also had the preparatory rite, uh, which is confession and absolution, which is a focus on baptism, uh, bearing fruit in our life. Uh, what more is confession and absolution than really a return to baptismal waters to hear that our sins are forgiven, that we're washed clean. And so all the, the means of grace get emphasized within the divine service in their own particular and unique ways. And for us, that's good because then we are coming into contact with every Uh, with God in every way that he promises to create and sustain faith, which is for our benefit in the long run. I I have heard the description used with regard to the divine service that it is like climbing up a mountain and you reach the mountain peak at the reading of the Holy Gospel, or some would say the preaching of the sermon, and then you come down off the mountain, and then you ascend up another mountain peak that is uh, reached, culminated at the reading of the words of institution, the verba, or the distribution of the Lord's Supper. Um, What do you think about that kind of an example or a picture as we are entering into this second part of the service, now the service of the sacrament? I don't think that's a bad uh, way to look at it. I um it is reality, maybe the way to think about it, though, is these are the different ways God is coming down to us rather than us climbing up to him. And uh, Christ comes to us in the uh, the word. Christ comes to us in the sacrament. And so maybe we stay at the same place, but these are the two places where God actually comes down to create and sustain faith within us. It is. Uh, that is a very, very important distinction that God comes to us. We are not ascending or climbing up to him. I I, uh, greatly appreciate you pointing that out. You know, uh, as we get into this uh, service of the sacrament, I want to talk about things in general. In the uh, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, for a variety of reasons, the Lord's Supper is not always celebrated 
every Sunday service. And it could be uh, for good reasons or bad reasons or whatever, but the divine service is a whole or is a unit. And to use the first part of the divine service and then omit the second part, the uh, service of the sacrament, is uh, sometimes referred to as a half mass or a dry mass, but it is really liturgically improper. Would you agree with that, or uh, you have any comments on that? Yeah, uh, it is liturgically probably improper. Uh, maybe the way to think about it is having the wedding service without the honeymoon. Uh, or, Ooh, that uh, would be bad. Yeah, that, you know, um, it's missing a big part of it and one of the most important parts of it. It's omitting um, the thing that Christ told us to do, uh, take, eat, take, drink, um, there's very few things that Christ actually says, this is what you need to do, and here's one of them, and we decided we're not going to have it. And so I would say it's not something to do. I know it's been done for a time-saving purpose. I know that it uh, comes out of pietism to not do it as often. Uh, and maybe those are things we want to expand a little bit in our discussion here. I know that it's uh, uh, something that's coming back into more regular practice within the church to do more regular communion services, uh, which is a good thing, I think. Um, but it's kind of a sad thing that there are those places where still uh, it's not an every Sunday uh, occurrence and even a sad thing in, in the sense of oftentimes we get all ready for that action of the Lord's Supper and then... Uh, fail to actually participate in it. And we're not saying anything negative here about the other office prayer services in the church, uh, morning prayer, matins, vespers, the other service of prayer and preaching, these services that are out there. But uh, Sunday is traditionally the day when we have the divine service. And we've got six other days uh, and evenings during the week when we can uh, take advantage of some of these occasional services or these prayer services. Um, I think now would be a good time, Pastor, before we, before we get into the specifics of the preface, now would be a good time to talk about some of those reasons or excuses why people, especially Lutheran people, long-time Lutheran people, don't want to have the Lord's Supper too often. I've shared many times that uh, growing up in my congregation when I was little, we had the Lord's Supper four times a year. Uh, before I got into confirmation class, we got a new pastor, and uh, he was a real, real radical because we had the Lord's Supper once a month. It was offered to the people. And uh, through the course of time in my home congregation, it was offered twice a month. And then more recently, uh, three worship services on a given weekend, Saturday night, two on Sunday morning. It was always at at least one every week, and I think that's where it is right now. Uh, we've, we've done something similar here at Good Shepherd. We did not have the Lord's Supper very often when I arrived 22 and a half years ago, and uh, once a month or so, never on a, a major festival like Christmas or Thanksgiving. It was just seen as unnecessary or too controversial. So, Pastor, why would a, pa a person, a pastor, a congregation be lulled into the feeling that 
we don't need to celebrate the sacrament too often. Well, um, what I've heard from some people is is that if we have it too often, it won't be special anymore. We won't uh, stop to think about how significant it is. And this is an idea that really falls out of pietism, where God's word is not sufficient in itself, but there needs to be some sort of emotional response from within you or uh, action from within you as well that goes with that, um, that helps you live the Christian life. And if, if we are too surrounded by God's gifts, then we might become used to them, and they might um, not be quite as important to us, and therein lies the uh, the, the challenge with this. Now, um, that, of course, is not the truth, um, because we aren't offering God an emotional response. Uh, that's not a part of the requirements. It's not that we need to feel how important it is, but rather God's Word is the important part in the Lord's Supper, where His Word is attached to bread and wine and creating a, a, a union between the body and blood of Jesus and the bread and the wine for us to eat and drink so that we are forgiven of our sins. Uh, that's the important thing, the Word, the Word, the Word. And God promises to be there in the Word to create and sustain faith. And that's whether or not he promises to be there, whether or not we recognize him or not, whether or not we feel uh, good about it or not. Uh, God's present in the Lord's Supper either way. So let's say someone, I mean, and we learned from Luther that when the liturgical changes and things were happening at the time of the Reformation, he made many, many concessions because of weak consciences. Let's say that uh, a pastor or leaders in a congregation would, would sincerely desire to have the Lord's Supper more often, and yet there are weak consciences that have been taught from early on that you should not receive the Lord's Supper too often, that you are taking it lightly if you receive it too often. Um, we are not to bind consciences that you must go to the Lord's Supper every time it's offered or you're not a Christian. Am I right on that as well? You are, and uh, that's one of the beauties about uh, the Lord's Supper as well. And I think we talk about this in the Catechism also, that we need to examine ourselves um, and... Uh, and, and dis discover, I guess, if we are in the right mindset to receive the Lord's Supper. Just because it's being offered does not mean we need to go forward, receive it, and take it. Uh, I know there's social pressure, and uh, we ought not give in to that social pressure, but we ought to just trust um, God's Word. And, and what's the, the question? How do we determine if we're ready or not? If we understand that uh, it is given and shed for me for the forgiveness of sins, uh, that's the determining factor on our end. And that has really nothing to do with us. It has to do with God's Word and the Holy Spirit creating that faith within us. And so um, you're always able to remain in the pew and not go up. In fact, we have many members of our church that do that occasionally and uh, lots of visitors as well. You're not forcing someone to go, but the opportunity for those who do need it for strengthening their faith, we ought to present as often as possible. The argument that I sometimes hear is that if we offer the Lord's Supper too often, we will fall into the danger that is so often in the Roman Catholic Church where we're just going through the motions, we're doing the doing, that the work actually does something rather than receiving the sacrament in faith. How would you respond to that, Pastor? Well, that is a danger that we need to be aware of, but that is not, um, again, the fault then would not be with 
the sacrament or with God or with the word, but rather that's something that's our own sinful nature at work. And we need to guard against our own sinful nature in that regard and make sure that we are always understanding uh, what we're doing and coming into the presence of God. We're When we take the Lord's Supper, we're coming into uh, heaven, essentially. Uh, angels and archangels and all the company of heaven laud and magnify God's glorious name, and we're participating in that. And we need to understand how serious that is, that uh, God is not a tame God. He is the God of his own making and doing, if you will. And so uh, we can't put him in the box, but yet he promises to put himself in the box of the Lord's Supper for our forgiveness um, whenever we come into it. And we need to be careful of that. Uh, when we come back, we're going to take a look at the preface, page 160, a part that is sometimes skipped, omitted, uh discounted or whatever. We want to take a look at the phrases that the pastor says or sings and the responses of the congregation. This is At Home in Your Hymnal. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNA. LP 95.7 FM Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline. We're looking at Divine Service Setting 1. We are in the service of the sacrament section of the hymnal, Divine Service Setting 1, page 160 and following. And today in uh, this particular episode, I believe it's episode 26, we are looking at the service of the sacrament, and now we're going to look at the preface. We heard that as our bumper music coming in. We have uh, these uh, cryptic lines that are going back and forth. If you have your Lutheran service book open, you see uh, Bible passage references there. 2 Timothy 4.22, Colossians 3.1, Psalm 136. I want to read to you uh, some, uh, some words from the Divine Service. It's history and liturgy. Pastor John Fram. And uh, when we get to this particular part, it uh, really sheds some light on what we're doing and why we're doing it. The preface dialogue is one of the oldest parts of the liturgy. The preface introduces the service of the Lord's Supper and leads into the proper preface, a seasonal prayer of thanksgiving that forms a bridge to the Sanctus. Arthur Just describes the meaning of the preface dialogue chant, and that's that chant that we heard uh, coming into uh, the uh, uh, program or this segment. The preface is one of the oldest parts of the liturgy, and could have been used by the apostles. We have already observed how our pastoral salutation, the Lord be with you, preceded the liturgy of the word. Now the same greeting begins the liturgy of the Lord's Supper. 
the pastor says, lift up your hearts, calling us to lift them up into heaven with Christ and all the company of heaven, which is exactly what we do when we enter into this holy meal. We lift them to the Lord. We exclaim, for the preface teaches us that the Lord's Supper is joining together of heaven and earth in one great liturgy. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God, proclaims the celebrant, for the church throughout the ages give thank, gives thanks to God for the divine gifts of grace which flow to us from the sacrificial life and death of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is right to give him thanks and praise, we respond, so that our Lord Jesus and our Lord's Supper begins with Eucharistic joy. For all thanksgiving and praise come from the joy with our union with Christ. Pastor, some observations or reflections on those words from Pastor Fram and Dr. Just. I think they are really important words, and he's exactly right that they might have been said by the apostles. We have them recorded for us uh, in the apostolic tradition of Hippolytus of Rome, which uh, perhaps dates to 180 uh, A.D., if not earlier. And we have other places uh, that they're also recorded for us across the board. Um, And so they are important for us to say and to understand that the thing we're doing here, how do I say this the right way? It is the Lord's Supper, not our Supper. And the church has been doing the Lord's Supper uh, in this particular way for generations and years and thousands of years. Uh, And so when we, I guess what I'm trying to say is let's not tinker with it. Let's do it the way the church has done it throughout the ages in in saying these particular words. And yet, when it comes to the tinkering, the preface, which we're talking about today in this particular program, and the proper, proper preface, which we'll talk about in the future, are two of the things that are tinkered with the most. And by, by being tinkered with, I'm not talking about here, you know, where, where other things are added in or special songs are written or anything like that. Usually the tinkering means just completely omitting them uh, they're they're not necessary. They're superfluous, and uh, let's just get on with the important part. Let's pray the Lord's prayer and have the words of institution. Now, it is still a valid sacrament without the preface and proper preface, and so what we're doing here is making a case of why we would not want to tinker with this liturgy that has been around for centuries before we were even born. Uh, the, the first part there, the Lord be with you and also with you, we've talked about that, that, that general greeting. It's a little bit different in Divine Service 3, and that's okay. Um, Comes from 2 Timothy chapter 4, so it is scriptural. It is, it is scriptural, and uh, in our earlier segments, uh, we, we've talked in great detail about that particular greeting, that apostolic greeting that is there. I want to focus in on the next two. Uh, lift up your hearts, we lift them to the Lord. Now, what is listed in a Lutheran service book on uh, the right-hand corner in tiny little print is Colossians 3, verse 1. Are you there, Pastor? I am. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above 
where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Wonderful verse from Colossians. It's uh, where the LCMS Youth Organization Higher Things gets their name, set your, things, set your minds on things above, or higher things, depending on your translation. And uh, so how do we do that? Is this, is this something that I manufacture? I have to climb the ladder. I have to build a tower of Babel to work my way to God. It seems like this phrase, lift up your hearts, is pretty close to give your heart to Jesus and is often misunderstood. Yeah, and in fact, I think there comes a translation issue just a little bit with this because uh, in some translations I've seen of where this appears earliest in the apostolic tradition of Hippolytus, um, the response phrase, so the pastor says, lift up your hearts, and the response phrase that I've seen in some translations is, they are lifted up unto the Lord, which is in the passive voice then. Someone else is doing the action of the lifting implied to be God. And I actually think that maybe would be kind of a, a more Lutheran way to say it and to acknowledge what's going on. Now, I'm not saying we're going to change it and tinker with it because we've been given this particular uh, way of saying it in the church and the whole church does it this way. But when we say it this way, we can at least understand what uh, maybe had been said originally, that God is actually the one lifting up our hearts uh, to receive his gifts. And he's doing that through the hearing of his word, which is what we've just had happen to us in the service of the word. And so then we see two how this is completely a passive action for us coming into God's presence. I'm thinking of uh, two little illustrations here. One would be where you would give one of your children a dollar bill, and then they would put the dollar bill in the collection plate. You are the one that's really doing it, but they are participating in that action. Or uh, your son Gabriel wants to mow the lawn. Well, you know he can't mow the lawn. He's too little. Yep. And so... He pushes on the mower, but you're standing right behind him, guiding him, keeping him safe, and pushing him. He always uh, wants to do the, the shopping cart at the grocery store. There you go. So is that a is that a fair way to kind of look at what you just described? Yeah, and even uh, I think any of those would be good examples. God, I guess the thing we want to remember is God is doing the lifting up, even as we say uh, we lift them to the Lord. We know that apart from him, there is no way that we can actually come into heaven. And so God's doing the work. I think that's those are good examples. Pastor Fram's uh, Bible study also lists one more Bible passage in addition to Colossians 3 verse 1, and that's Lamentations 3.41, which simply says, let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. And so this is a posture of prayer, a posture of submission, a posture of nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. I think there's a lot of things going on. An there. action of faith. The, the faith that you have is the thing doing it. Amen. Amen. Now, the next phrase is, let us give thanks unto the Lord our God. And then in uh uh, the uh, Divine Service 1, uh, it is right to give him thanks and praise. In Divine Service 3, we have the ancient language, it is meet and right so to do. Uh, 
And it says that this is based on Psalm 136. Psalm 136. Are you there, Pastor? I am. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for the steadfast love for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, for his steadfast love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them, for his steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his steadfast love endures forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings, for his steadfast love endures forever. And killed mighty kings, for his steadfast love endures forever. Zion, the king of the Amorites, for his steadfast love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, for his steadfast love endures forever. And gave their land as a heritage, for his steadfast love endures forever. A heritage to Israel his servant, for his steadfast love endures forever. It is he who remembered us in our low estate, for his steadfast love endures forever, and rescued us from our foes, for his steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. What an amazing hymn and uh, psalm, uh, and the Psalter is the hymnal, 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 the hymn book of the Old Testament. And uh, that refrain, if that doesn't get pounded into your head by the end of that psalm, nothing will do it. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. We, uh, We are doing this, this preface, right before we receive the Lord's Supper. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Thanksgiving and the love of God. We're running out of time on this segment. We can pick it up again when we come back. Some quick thoughts on the connection between Thanksgiving and the steadfast love of God. Well, I think it's important to see in that psalm who's doing all the doing. To go back to our other point, God is. God's doing all the doing, and in response, we, we talk about how his steadfast love endures forever. And that's the same thing here, preparing us to understand that in the service of the sacrament, that God's doing all the doing here, and we're getting all the giving, and uh, God's doing it because of his love. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And when we come back, we're going to uh, have a few more thoughts on the uh, sacrament, the service of the sacrament, and specifically on the preface. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back.
Sundays at noon on KNNA. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal, Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline. We are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church here in Lincoln, Nebraska. You're listening to us on KNNALP 95.7. You can check us out on the website, the uh, various podcasts of uh, this program and other theological programming at Good Shepherd at This particular program, At Home in Your Hymnal, we're working our way through Divine Service Setting 1. This is episode 26. We're looking at the proper preface. In the first segment, we looked specifically at the service of the sacrament and the shift that is going on now in the divine service, the rhythm and flow, God speaks, we respond. In uh, the second segment, we looked at some of the specifics with the lines, the uh, pastor part, and the congregational response in the preface, there are three short responses, the Lord be with you and also with you. We've covered that in great detail in an earlier program because that happens earlier in the service as well. The second part, lifting up your hearts, we lift them to the Lord, what that means, and uh, how we're to understand that in the context of the Lord's Supper. And the third part is where we ended off our last segment. Let us give thanks to the Lord, our God. Excuse me. And then the congregation responds, it is right to give him thanks and praise. Pastor Moline read Psalm 136, and it is a um, kind of a litany type psalm where the first part uh, recounts the salvation history, creation, redemption, uh, especially uh, through the Red Sea waters, and the congregational response is the same all the way through. The uh, people are responding in, uh, in marvelous ways, uh, but they say repeatedly, for his steadfast love endures forever. In other programs, especially Proclaiming the One, we've talked about that that chesed word, that steadfast love. It's a gospel word. It encompasses everything that God has done with us and for us, who God is and what God is for us. Love, grace, mercy, peace, comfort, everything all wrapped into one word. Um, And the only way we can translate that in English is steadfast love. So it appears that we're giving thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love. And yet here in this particular part of the service, we are giving thanks for the word that we have just heard. We're giving thanks in anticipation of the sacrament that we're about to receive. we got a lot of different things that are going on here. Uh, Pastor, uh, Pastor Fromm, in his um, 
study that we're uh, working through here, uh, The Divine Service, Its History and Theology, lists two additional Bible passages in addition to Psalm 136. The first one is Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, which seems to be almost kind of a curious one to put in this uh, particular part of the study. And then Mark 12, verse 29. Mark 12, verse 29 reads, oh, my page just stuck together here. Mark 12, verse 29 says, Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So we have that emphasis with regard to the Lord is one, at the same time, we're giving thanks unto the Lord our God. So, Pastor, um, what are we giving thanks for at this particular part in the divine service? Well, uh, and maybe to say, too, our giving thanks is always a result of faith. And so uh, how does faith come to us? Romans 10 says faith comes by hearing. And faith always has an object, and that's where I think that Deuteronomy and the Mark passage come in. Uh, the object of our faith is the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God and three persons, three persons and one God, um, neither confusing the persons nor uh, dividing the substance. That's important for us to understand. And Very good. Yeah, A little Athanasian you. creed talk you, here. Yeah. Huh? My, uh, my nine-year-old daughter almost has the whole thing memorized. So the other day she was commenting on the sermon and saying, oh, yeah, that reflects what's said in the Athanasian creed. And then she was rattling it off. Um, and so those things are important. This is a confession in faith, give thanks to the Lord our God. And in faith, then, it is right for us to give thanks and praise to God. And we give him thanks for all the work that he has done. Uh, he has saved us by the work of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. He has created us by the work of God the Father, uh, speaking his word and calling us into existence. He has created faith in us through the Holy Spirit, calling, gathering, enlightening, and sanctifying the entire church on earth. He's done these things for us, uh, and he's brought that word specifically into our ears earlier in the service, in the service of the word. He has reminded us of our baptism earlier in the service, in the service of absolution and uh, confession and absolution. And now he's going to give us his own body and blood to eat in the service of the sacrament. And so it's for all those things that we are giving God thanks. And properly understood, that thanks is a result of faith or a confession that faith does uh, from within us. And so we have to have God give us his gifts first before we can respond in that faith. Okay, that's well very well said. Now, I want to I want to bridge a or broach a uh, maybe a touchy subject. The there are many names for the Lord's Supper. Uh, the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, the Sacrament of the Altar, Breaking of Bread. These are all biblical names for the the meal that we're about to receive here. One of the names from the Bible is the Eucharist, the Eucharist. Now, you don't hear that word used much in uh, the Lutheran church. So, uh, Pastor, what does the word Eucharist mean in Greek, and how is it to be understood with regard to that particular title? Each one of those titles is teaching us something uh, special about this gift of this meal. So um, 
Eucharist. Uh, what does it mean, and how is it to be understood if we're going to use that term? Yeah, and I think um, the word Eucharist, when it's used in reference to the Lord's Supper, comes from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where St. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And we have there the words of institution as recorded for us by St. Paul. And uh, um, why that's important is you notice before Christ blessed the bread, he took the bread and he gave thanks. Um, and so what he did is... Uh, he raised it up and he said, thank you, Lord, for providing this bread. Um, and we have this in other places, for example, the feeding miracles where Jesus took the bread and gave thanks before he broke it. And the word in Greek for giving thanks is eucharisto, or uh, the word that we get Eucharist from. And so it's called the Eucharist because we see our Lord giving thanks to God for the bread uh, before he blesses it and breaks it and distributes it as his own body and blood. And so so we are taking the Lord's word and applying it to the act the Lord is doing in the Lord's Supper. And I think that's important for us to understand because who's the one giving thanks in the Lord's Supper? Uh, when he institutes it, it's, Lord, uh, it's Jesus. He's the one that's giving thanks. And it's his work of giving thanks and then also his work of giving us his body and blood and his work of dying on the cross and his work that actually saves us. Where the problem comes in with the Eucharist and with the Lord's Supper is when we think uh, by our actions we are saving ourselves. And some people think that, that if I give thanks the right way in the Lord's Supper, then I am earning points with God, and I am the one who's going to save myself as a result. And that's a problem, because once we say that or think that, um, we are putting the work of salvation not onto Christ's shoulders, but instead onto our own. So um, I'll just come right out and ask you then, uh, what do you think? Is it uh, right and proper for confessional Lutheran Christians to refer to the Lord's Supper as the Eucharist, or is that term fraught with too much baggage that uh, it's uh, difficult or impossible to reclaim it? I think it's fine for us to do it so long as we are understanding it correctly, and this is the way it is with uh, all the language. It's biblical language, which is why it's beneficial. Our Lord uses the word Eucharisto um, in many times when he's talking about the Lord's Supper or teaching about the Lord's Supper. And so it's appropriate for us to do that, but we have to always remember giving thanks is always a response to receiving God's gifts. And uh, it's not that we are ever going to save ourselves by being thankful enough. I think we talked about this the other day on um, Proclaiming the One. We were talking about um, the ten lepers who, and the one who returned and gave thanks. It's not that he came back and said thank you that got him into heaven. It's the faith that was delivered to his ears by the word and the working of the Holy Spirit that saved him. And the same thing is true for us in the Lord's Supper. We give thanks in response to God giving his gifts, and that's not the way that we're saved, being thankful enough. We're thank or saved because uh, Jesus has done all that's necessary to redeem us uh, with his holy, precious blood, innocent suffering, and death on the cross. So if I'm hearing you right, when, uh, when we use the word Eucharist, or Holy Eucharist with regard to the Lord's Supper, we are remembering that Jesus gave thanks 
broke bread and then instituted this holy meal. And in response to this holy meal, we are giving thanks to God for what for his great gifts and for what we are about to receive. Is that a, is that a fair uh, summary of what you, uh, what you taught us there, Pastor? Yeah, I believe so. And that's, I mean, to take that summary or that uh, teaching and put it into two lines of words would be, let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. And I think that that way the liturgy uh, does that teaching in a very clear and succinct way so that we can understand what's going on at the Lord's Supper. It is meet and right so to do uh, as we uh, sing it in the uh, Divine Service 3. It is right to give thanks to the Lord our God. We need to know who that God is. One God in three persons, three persons in one God. Uh, As we've uh, talked about in great detail, God uh, the Father did not take on flesh and blood. God the Holy Spirit did not take on flesh and blood. God the Son took on flesh and blood, and it is this flesh and blood in, with, and under the bread and wine that we are about to receive. We did not dream up this meal. God instituted it and gives it to us as an enduring gift and an enduring pledge. When uh, when we come back from our break, uh, Pastor, I want to talk to you a little bit, so I'll give you some time to prepare. I want to talk to you about the actions and the movements that you sometimes see a pastor do during this particular part of the service. This is uh, not spelled out for us in our hymnal, but it is in the altar book that the pastors use, the rubrics that are teaching the pastors where to stand, how to turn, how to hold their hands, and things like that. And uh, some pastors do it, some pastors don't. I want to talk about the benefit and the blessings, and maybe also a little bit of a warning with regard to that too. This is At Home in Your Hymnal, episode 26. We're looking at the preface in the Lord's Supper part of the service. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back once again to At Home in Your Hymnal, Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Oline. We serve at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We are working our way through Divine Service Setting in One, the rhythm and flow of the liturgy. We are working our way through each individual part. We're in the communion part of the liturgy, and in this episode 26, we're looking at that part that is, in some people's mind, kind of a throwaway, the preface. It is uh, sometimes skipped uh, with regard to uh, the parts of the service, especially if they want to save some time. There's uh, three 
responses, give and takes between the pastor and the congregation. The Lord be with you and also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. You heard that uh, sung beautifully as we uh, came into our, uh, our bumper music, came into our program. We've been hearing that all throughout this particular episode. Pastor, uh, when, we, when we closed our last segment, I talked about the different actions that pastors sometimes do during the worship service. Some pastors do more actions than others. There is an altar book, and in this altar book, there are rubrics, little instructions in red. Latin is, uh, red in Latin is rubric. That's where that comes from. Little instructions for what the congregation, what the pastor, uh, when to stand, when to sit, where to turn, these kind of things. In this service of the sacrament, for the preface, the uh, encouragement here or the rubric is that um, and the the people are already standing because they've been standing since the offertory began so the people are standing and it says facing the congregation the presiding minister extends his hands in greeting while saying the lord be with you and then the congregation responds and also with you so Two parts there, facing the congregation and um, extending hands as, as in a greeting. And I think what we're talking about, not, not sticking out one hand like you're handshaking, but extending two hands uh, like a welcome or a, 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 like you're going to hug somebody, that kind of a, that, that's how I envision like that. Like Willy Wonka when he welcomes people to the chocolate factory. There he holds out his hands and says, here it is. Uh, that that's the the image that's done. There you go. Okay, so so pastor, those two things: facing the congregation and extending hands in greeting. Good thing, bad thing. Why is it done, and why would it possibly be like important? Well, uh, it actually reflects the same thing that's supposed to be done when the salutation is done before the collect of the day. The rubrics there are the same. We face the congregation. We say, the Lord be with you. The face in the congregation indicates that this is a word from the Lord spoken through the pastor. And so it's a promise of God that he is present here uh, in what's about to happen. The same way that the promise is made in the salutation that uh, God is present in the word that you're about to hear in the scripture readings uh, and then hopefully all also then additionally into the sermon as well, uh, as long as your pastor is faithfully preaching God's word. And so the same thing is happening here. We're promising uh, the pastor is the, um, the ambassador for God that is telling the congregation God is promising to be present in what is about to happen in the uh, service of the sacrament. And, uh, and so in that, that way, uh, facing the, the, uh, the congregation, the pastor is indicating that message is from God. Okay, so we have here uh, something that we've already done in the congregation, something that is uh, a welcoming, a, an encouragement, and, and uh, something that you said uh, really struck me is that the Lord, the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is present. And this is the Lord through the hands of the pastor that is welcoming the people. Now, we have a special welcoming that is going on, not just a general welcoming like in the um, uh, 
when these words are spoken before the uh, collect, but a special welcome, and this is a welcome to the Lord's Supper, uh, a special part of the service. We've got a, we've got a new uh, mountaintop that we're about to climb. The second line says, the presiding minister then lifts his hands while saying, lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Now, we've already looked at those words from uh, Colossians 3. That was in segment 2. We looked at them theologically and what's going on here. So, the direction to the pastor to lift up his hands while he says these words. And if you've got the pastor with the the Willy Wonka greeting there, I like that, uh, who's got his hands extended, and then the presiding mister lift up his hands, I'm I'm imagining you're lifting it up almost like uh, you're scoring for a touchdown. You're you're lifting them up, palms uh, facing God, that kind of a thing. Um, So, the purpose of that particular motion in the ceremony. Well, yeah, it, it is, um, again, an important thing that the pastor is doing, and he is still facing the congregation, and he is doing so as a ambassador for God. That's the way I kind of like to think of it. The pastor is not God himself, but the things he's saying are God's word to the people. And so uh, the neat thing about that is when God speaks a word, whatever he says is true. Uh, and so, for example, in the creation, God said, let there be light. And when God said that word, what happened? Light appeared. Light appeared. So when we see the pastor as the ambassador for God, and he says, lift up your hearts, uh, the reality of what the pastor is speaking happens for the people sitting in the pews because it's God's word, not the pastor's word. And so that's therefore the response. I think we talked about this in the second segment, or maybe it was the first one. Um, they are lifted to the Lord. The reality of what God's word has said has accomplished what God's word said uh, for the people sitting in the pew. And so that very thing happens. We We are, uh, in that way, being brought to heaven, if you will, uh, with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven to laud and magnify God's glorious name. Or in other words, our hearts are lifted up kind of like in Revelation chapter 7, when a multitude from every tribe and people and language and nation were standing before the Lamb and before the throne, uh, worshiping God with palm branches in their hands. Uh, That's the whole thing. We're participating in heaven here, uh, and these words of God are making that come about for us. I often think of uh, when Jesus, before he does a miracle, many times he looks up into heaven, directing us that this is from God. This is not a human activity that is going on. All right, now the final rubric here, um, when the pastor says, let us give thanks to the Lord our God, and the people respond, it is right to give him thanks and praise, the rubric says, the presiding minister brings his hands together. So you've got them outstretched, uh, Willy Wonka greeting. You're lifting them up like a touchdown and then bringing them together, uh, folding hands, holding your hands together, bringing them down into a posture of prayer. Um, Pastor, thoughts on that direction? Well, first off, I think with these uh, terminology, Willy Wonka touchdown, and uh, I think we should write a a book on this topic. There you go. (laughs) There you go. CBH will publish it. Yeah, for the Um, common man, for the the Husker fan. There we go. Um, 
what we're doing here, yeah, I think a posture of prayer is a good way to say it because we're getting ready to uh, speak more of God's words with the proper preface. And uh, and the posture of prayer is a good way to do that because uh, uh, it really is now we're going to talk directly to God and talk about what he's doing here and, uh, and talk why we're here and uh, to have this conversation with God in the proper preface. And so it is an appropriate way to have a conversational conversation uh, posture uh, in what we're doing with our hands in that regard. I think it's appropriate. Now, with all these things that you're talking about, I think it's worth saying um, we have freedom in this because you said some pastors do it and some don't. Um, We are not going to earn our salvation by following this perfectly or properly or even uh, holding our fingers the correct way uh, or the uh, spreading out of the hands the right number of degrees or something like this. That's It's not the details that are going to save us. It's only Christ that's going to save us. But the way we're doing this is a acknowledgement of the fact we believe God is going to really be present here in his word. And so we're acting reverently and appropriately to indicate this not only uh, to ourselves, but also then to all the people in the congregation, which is why we do this. Um, we, we could technically, in freedom, Christian freedom, do whatever we want to. We could do it all sitting down, right? And uh, the word would still bring it about. But if we sit down or act uh, inappropriately, we're acting as if Christ isn't really present. Uh, the God who created all the world, redeemed it, and sanctifies it, uh, who is uh, holy, 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 and powerful, if he's really there, we're going to act appropriately, just as we would if the Queen of England showed up. And sadly, sometimes in our churches, we would act more uh, reverently if it was the Queen of England than we would if it's God. And uh, there's the, uh, the defining line of why we're doing this. God himself is present. Let us now adore him. That hymn kind of reminds us what's going on. So uh, when when we come back in our next episode, we're going to talk about the next step in the liturgy, which is the proper preface, the extension of what we've talked about here to the particular season of the church year. And I think now is a good time when we're talking about, you know, how much ceremony, how much moving of the hands, singing or speaking, uh, to be reminded once again of uh, uh, Professor John Pless's words with regard to ceremony. The church's liturgical practice should not obscure the gift character of God's word and sacraments. They are not the pious actions of men, but the very gifts of God that give and bestow the forgiveness won at Calvary. Thus, confessional Lutherans will reject the anthropological, that's man-centered, understanding of ceremony that sees the liturgy as ritual reenactment, representation, or remembrance of salvation history. Jesus Christ is our servant and liturgist in the divine service as he bestows the fruits of his death and resurrection by means of word and sacrament. Faith, not participation in ritual action, is the key to a proper understanding of the place of ceremonies in the liturgy. Ceremonies serve the rite in tutoring the worshiper in a faith that is reverent and receptive of the presence of the Lord who is in the midst of the congregation as its servant. I think that sums up very, very well uh, not only this particular program, but a proper understanding of ceremony in the worship service and why we have freedom because ceremony is not an absolute necessary, but a teaching tool to catechize the congregation who's doing the doing. Yeah, and... and, 
properly done, all these things indicate the reality of what's going on. A and to be clear, it's not only a teaching tool. It is the way you act uh, in a particular place. You know, uh, the library, uh, when you go to the library, you don't run around and shout and scream. Yeah, you're quiet, right? Um, why? Because that's the way you act in the library. And the same thing, in the how do you act in the presence of God? And that's what we're trying to do and get across, because there is an appropriate way to act in the presence of a holy and uh, righteous God. It is meet and right, so to do. Thank you for tuning in to episode 26 of At Home in Your Hymnal. May God richly bless you as you hear his word and receive his gifts. Thanks be to God.